This episode of Transmissions is brought to you by Prime Toys, where you can get collector-grade toys without the collector-grade prices. Use the code TRANSMISSIONSOCTOBER at checkout for 10% off your order at primetoys.net. This episode is also brought to you with the support of our listeners. If you're able to donate, please visit our support page at transmissionspodcast.com support. On that page, you will find links to donate via Patreon or PayPal. If you can't donate monetarily, please help us out by spreading the word about our show. This is Flint Dilly, and you're listening to Transmissions Podcast. Hello, all sentient beings, and welcome to the Transmissions Podcast, where we talk about all news, toys, and comic books related to the Transformers. Welcome to Transmissions. We're live at TFCon Charlotte, and we're very proud and happy to have Mr. Flint Dilly with us. So if you were a kid in the 80s, you watched the original cartoon, or you watched the 86 movie, were traumatized by the 86 movie, (laughs) we have the writer here, Mr. Flint Dilly, who is responsible for that. So thank you, sir. Well, thanks for having me here. This uh, is really cool what you're doing this podcast. And, uh, of course, more recently, you've also worked on uh, some IDW comics uh, in yes. the last few years. And, yes. Uh, uh, that's, uh, that's really been awesome read, reading those comics. So we've we've uh, enjoyed them as well. And uh, we want to talk to you a little bit about that and also about your work uh, the old back stuff. in these. <laughs> so, uh, Jeremy, go ahead. Yeah, I guess we'll start off with uh, um, some of the newer stuff. Um, the Autocracy, Monstrosity, Primacy trilogy. Um, that was a collaboration with you and Chris Metzen. Yeah. Um, yeah, it started out with Chris and I were working on uh, Diablo 3. Because Chris is the the creative lead at, at, at Blizzard. Yeah. And yeah, who makes for, anybody that doesn't know, they make World of Warcraft and Starcraft and Diablo. And we were finishing up the, the script stuff on Diablo 3. And it was basically just, you know, sort of Chris working and I'm, I'm you know, riding shotgun. Uh, on the script. Um, and uh, he turns around one day and says, hey, you want to do a Transformers graphic novel? And, yeah, I, I could I could be hazy on it, but the original pitch was we we're going to do one 22-page novel, just because, like, Chris oh. is a, an incredible Transformers geek and, and, and loves it. And he had, like, you know, when I walked into his office, he had, like, all of the... Transformers, you know, like, like it was my life in 1986. <laughs> you know, he had all, you Transformers in their original bubble wrap and he had almost the entire G.I. Joe run, um, from that same period. You know, he, and he's the real deal as far as, as, as a fan and knowing this stuff. And, and so we talked to, uh, Andy Schmidt over at IDW. He was running IDW at that point. And, you know, I'm sure they were thinking, well, you know, this guy really hasn't done much Transformers since the mid eighties. And, you know, Chris has got a day job and, and, uh, you know, what's this going to be? I mean, I mean, what would you think of your IDW? Right. <laughs> so they kind of gave us an audition and we did a three page, an eight page, you know, beginning. So oh, it was pretty good. Let's do another one. And yeah, I don't know how many, you know, 360 pages later or whatever, you know, after three you know, at twelve part trilogies, we're we, you know we did it. So is that a page? How the original like autocracy was originally released digitally? It was it, it was the whole plan was an eight page biweekly digital fortnightly, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, fortnightly digital release. 
Okay. And uh, yeah, that was that was the original plan, and it, it started doing really well. And so they decided, well, we'll print this, right. and then well, we'll skip the digital. We won't skip the digital, you know. By yeah. by you know by primacy, it was you know yeah. they were printed as regular comics. I think when it started, it was right around the time that IDW was getting into digital and doing the day and date release. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. And that, that was one of the things. And we were kind of novelty act and all that. And I just think, I don't think, you know, then when we met Livio, you know, I mean, he was like the perfect guy. The perfect, I remember we were at BotCon and we were doing a panel. And they said, oh, you ought to meet your artist. You know, just kind of started doing a panel. And you haven't met your artist yet. And we met Livio and looked at his stuff and it was like, okay, we know what this book's going to be, you know, so. Yeah. yeah we've had Livio on our show. Yeah. He's great. He's, he's awesome. like, you know, I mean, he's, he's just one of the best things going. He's done a lot of stuff on Ingress with me. Okay. Too, for the, which is the game, uh, GeoMobile augmented alternate reality game I'm doing with uh, Google. Oh, cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, were you familiar with the IDW Transformers books at all uh, when, when you oh, started? Only vaguely. You know, I mean, it's it's like, you know, I mean, with me, Transformers was like my life in 1985, 86, you know, and yeah. been to 87. And then, you know, I went on and did other stuff. And I kind of like, you know, the corner of my eye, I see it. And there was one other point where I was, I was going to work on the show, but it just, I, I was... I was writing movies at that point. It just, you know, it just didn't, it didn't fit right. You know, so I didn't do that. And then I did the script for the first Bayformer, uh, movie game. And, oh, okay. and then really nothing until, um, until the comics, the IDW comics. And, but, and I, and I got back into it, but it was kind of interesting in that what you realize is, you know, I can be sitting there, well, I know these characters. Well, actually, no, that was 20 years ago. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and, you know, and I mean, I remember it in such a different way than probably a fan does. And people like Chris grew up on this stuff and his opinions are every bit as strong and even more valid than mine. And it took me a while to get used to that. Yeah. So what was it like working in like a universe, the universe that they created versus you know, the one in the 80s that you helped create? Well, what we were doing was set a million years earlier. And so once I wrapped my head around that, I mean, it's all one big thing. You know, I know they're sort of harmonizing all the different continuities now with Transformers. And, and to me, it's, it's, it's just all one big thing. There are little nuances in the universes that are different. But you just write it. I mean, Starscream isn't trying to, you know, treacherously, you know, take control of the Decepticons. You know, it's yeah. not Transformers. Right. You know, if Optimus isn't, you know, we, I mean, in that case, you know, our, our goal was to show, okay, how did Optimus get to be Optimus? What was yeah. he? And what are you if you're an enforcer in some corrupt, you know, you know, autocracy? And, right. and what are you going to do? And, you know, so we tried to, you know, we tried to do a backstory with, with, all the characters kind of showed it, you know, and, and you know, all hell Megatron was kind of in the air at that point. And so it was like, yeah, let's do it, do it, you know, kind of like a modern thing. And then we decided, you know, what if, you know, the hot rods, like some, you know, local freedom fighter, you know, or terrorist, depending on how you look at them. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so it started just building from there. It's cool. So, um, Olivia has mentioned to us how, uh, how much you and Chris involved him into the actual the story process? Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, it was it was. I mean, yeah, you, you have to get the impression it was just this thing that organically grew, and Livio was like hugely into it. You know, I mean, in a lot of ways, you know, with that, I was a dumb guy just kind of looking at 
at the art because I don't follow you know comics particularly well. It's comics are you know, writing comics is a hard medium for me. The dialogue's not hard and all that, but I tend to think in terms of time, mm-hmm. you know, writing scripts right. or a total lack of time, like writing novels or in games where it's it's happening to you in real time, and what you're trying to do is blur the game time and all that. But writing things on space, I'm not an artist, right? And you know, comics are a medium where you write in space. And Chris and Libio obviously are really gifted that and know how to do it, but it's its own special talent. So I just sort of write stuff up and they, you know, unbelievably kindly and politely fix it. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we did notice, um, particularly in Autocracy, but spread out through all the series, you had a few nods to the G1 movie. Well, I could not, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, I mean, because, you know, partly it, it wasn't like we were sitting there saying, I mean, now and again, that's not true. What, what it basically what it, it is, is when, you, when you're crafting any kind of a universe, it's all setups and payoffs. Right. And so you want to have something in autocracy, which is a million years earlier, it's kind of going to pay off in the G1 movie. Yeah. And the Transformers, Transformers always lives, it's kind of like real life, oddly enough, and it lives right on the edge of making sense. You know, and, and so you want to have, you know, it's like, oh, this happened in the, in the 86 movie or in the really series season three, which is, I view as kind of a continuity of the 86 right. movie. Um, oh, that sort of paid off then, but this is where it all started. You know, so it was, you know, because you want it all, you, you yeah. want it to all feel like an integrated whole. Okay. Yeah. That's, um, that's really cool. I, I just never really. You know, I, I think in terms of a continuity, it's just like one straight thing. That's it. But yeah, it's kind of neat seeing like thinking of like the comics, and then at some point it branches off, and then it goes to the animated or. Oh yeah, yeah. You have to. I mean, I, I just think of. Yeah, you know, I've been doing a lot of you know, alternate reality games, and and done it doing a lot of transmedia stuff. Yeah, really, ever since then. But that's kind of when it started. Was doing Transformers. And to me, you have to look at it. You have to look at it slightly different ways. There's, there's the old school where you have a chronology, and you can write it down from beginning to end, and and like everything happened at this point, and this is how it happened, and so on. Real world doesn't work like that. Okay, the real world, you know, we may agree, all agree on certain things that happened at certain times, and you got a video stamp, mm-hmm. but you don't even agree exactly on what happened. Right. Yeah. You know, and it's it's a blur. There's a perspective of the you know, there's the the information you have or the data you have or don't have. There are the holes you fill in, and everything about how you fill in the holes is your perception, not necessarily reality. You're trying to make, you know, I mean, you know, the way like you're telling the story of your life. Like if I'm talking about what happened back in '86, right? I, I'm I'm making up a narrative, superimposing a narrative on pretty much random events. Because we don't think in terms of random events, right? Right. And so, and, and ironically, when, when Chris and I came to this, we were working on Diablo and we'd just gotten done doing the source book for Diablo 3. And we realized that the, the continuity is so messed up in Diablo, <laughs> okay, that in, in, a, in an old school sense. Right. That you just tell that the book came from, you know, it was the lore book. Like when I was back doing stuff with TSR... You'd write a lore book, and it would be the facts of what happened in that world. Our lore book was like the point of view of one of the characters who dies in the middle of Diablo three, so he can't he can't be wrong. 
And it's just what he thinks. And he gets to places and he'll say, I don't know. It's like Herodotus. I mean, I was, I was an ancient history major. And so I was just ripping off Herodotus. And just say Herodotus would tell these stories. I, you know, here there are three stories about how this happened. I don't know which one's true, but I'll tell you all of them. And if you think of a continuity, fictional continuity that way, you never hogtie yourself. Because if you really try to stick to, you, you lock yourself out of your own world the minute you try to stick to some rigid continuity. And that was, I think, the breakthrough we made. You have a subjective universe, not an objective universe. I think that might be what we're seeing with like DC and Marvel these days, where yeah. they've basically both blown up their universes. And <laughs> yeah, well, because we live, you know, we're living in the information age right now. Okay, we're not living. All that stuff was industrial age, where it had to be very orderly. Well, now, I mean, what are we doing right now? We're, we're talking on a podcast. Uh, you know, the, you know, on, you know, and, and it's just us. It's not like there are official conduits anymore. Of, you know, the, this isn't some authorized Hasbro thing on CBS at two o'clock in the, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's not, it's not what it is. It's, it's just us doing it. And the truth of what happened, you know, in, in any of this stuff is a bunch of sort of su- subjective recollections, you know? Right. Yeah. At the risk of sounding a little pretentious, I've heard the Transformers whole mythology compared to like an Arthurian legend where you've got, you know, multiple tellings of the, of the same events. Well, the Bible starts out. I mean, there are two different you know, tellings of the creation in Genesis one and two. I mean, because, you know, the beginning of anything is sort of when you decide the beginning is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we had two, I mean, you think about what transformers even in G one in, yeah. in 86 or in, in, at the end of season two and the beginning of season three, we have two different origin stories mm-hmm. for Transformers. And yet they don't necessarily, they rule each other out or contradict each other. It's just from the point of view of Alpha Trion, you get one story. And from the point of view of, you know, Autobots as, as assembled creatures and Decepticons, as, you know, things that had to have been created in some kind of factory, you get another story. And both of them can be true. Right. You know? Yeah. Cool. So, well, one thing I wanted to ask about uh, the autocracy and monstrosity, they both kind of feature a, a hero's journey, I guess, autocracy with Optimus Prime and then monstrosity with... Monstrosity was a, was a villain's journey. Yeah. And that's yeah. what we were really yeah. fascinated by doing is the idea was, okay, you know, everybody tells you the hero's journey. What's the villain's journey? Yeah. You know, I mean, how do you get to be Megatron? Yeah. Because he probably didn't start out, you know, it wasn't like there was some chip in there. <laughs> you know, you know, you know, it wasn't like, you know, that, that would have been the 86 way yeah. of doing it. But uh, so it was like, yeah, what was his journey? And and that's where, obviously, me being me, default to, let's go back to Junkion. Because Junkion's kind of the purgatory of it. This is in my mind. Okay, obviously, everything you're hearing is subjective for me. The purgatory well, the of the Transformers now. universe, right? right. And, 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 you know, because, you know, these, these guys are robots and they're machines and they're thinking that, you know, junkions where you go to die, but then you get resurrected as some, you know, transmogrified, horrified version of yourself <laughs> or you're forged there. Mm-hmm. And so you take Megatron and then, you know, in my opinion, and this is, going back to 86 and like, you know, probably forbidden and banned continuity. But I, I do believe the Quintessons had a huge hand in creating these characters. So to have Pettyus, who, you know, I think of as, as sort of demented last, 
last extant Quinnison, you know, as, as being, you know, he's this refugee living out and, you know, a junkie on and the wreckage of all the stuff he created and Megatron comes and he sort of sees this other chance, you know, it's like, yeah, that's like for whatever the opposite of redemption is, you know, for damnation or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That, that to me was a compelling idea for a story. You know, and I was always working on, yeah, Chris and Levy, I thought it was kind of dweeb, so we got rid of it. But I, I was always trying to figure out the Decepticon code. Like, you know, like the, <laughs> right. the rules they would tell you, you know, the strong must survive always. The weak must be exterminated. You know, <laughs> you know, it's like uh, an alliance, you know, lasts only as long as it is beneficial to you. You know, I was, I was just trying to think of like all the, you know, the opposite of, you know, good behavior. I think uh, James Roberts is kind of, put something like that in place with just um, he's had Megatron as during his days as a, as a minor writing um, what, like an autobiography. Yeah. Like a communist manifesto basically. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah and that, you see, that's the, I mean, that's the way people are starting to think of it Yeah, is, you know, I mean, yeah, bear in mind we're, we're doing this in 86. I mean, you know, what we were doing at the time was just really radical, weird stuff. But nobody, you know, would think, you know, that, you know, even Hasbro, who put up with amazing stuff from us, you know, was not going to have, you know, some, you know, you know, deranged, you know, robot doing a manifesto, and you know, that was in, in the eighties, saying communist manifesto on like children's TV probably wouldn't have ever been. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's really funny. Is is that period was simultaneously. A lot more restrictive and a lot freer than the media environment now. I mean, there 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 are things to both to both of them. You know, it's repressive and a different. You didn't have political correctness then. You didn't have to worry about everything you were saying. It was, you know, at that level, at the other level, you actually did have people watching what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I remember a, particularly one episode of the cartoon where the Decepticons all get drunk. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was untainted energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. yeah. And I, that probably was the development team had gone out the night before or something. Like that. <laughs> so hey, what if like the Autobots? I mean, that's the other thing is you know the amount of that stuff that just kind of came. You know, we were living our real lives, and you know, it's just like, hey, let's write about that because yeah, when you have sixty-five episodes, it's like anything you think is interesting that day gets right. an episode. You know. <laughs> oh. I guess one thing with the with the end of the series of Primacy, what was the um, I guess what was your thought in terms of merging Pentius's uh, you know I guess spark essence with the Trypticon, the giant monster, and it seemed like you know the monster became kind of this very erudite, uh, intelligent uh, thing. Well, I mean, you always want to leave it with like something else can happen afterwards. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's how you want to do it, and. Yeah, because, you know, you know, at a certain level, the, the whole story was the, the, you know, the, the sort of salvation of Cybertron. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, you know, what's kind of cool is Trypticon's the closest thing you have to his own city or something. It could become its own civilization. And so, in my mind, you know, what, what, you know, could one day still happen is that all leaves and morphs and it grows up to become whatever the third thing is, if you think that, you know, Cybertron and, and, you know, Unicron are, are brothers. Mm-hmm. Well, this is this weird offspring that can come out of, you know, that universe that, okay. That's my idea. Okay. <laughs> no, we're not doing that. Okay. Right. You know, that just in my mind, that's where that goes. Yeah. But yeah, you wanted to see, 
You know, I mean, I, I, mean, I love the characters because it's this whole thing of, you know, it's, it's all ghost in the machine stuff, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And if Penius is the ghost, what happens when you put him in different machines? You know, that's, that's kind of what that is. Um, it's in the comic part with, um, we've, we have this petition, um, like one of our, uh, hosts came up with the idea of like, what if we could get IDW to make a comic book continuation of the original series? That idea has been in the air, you know, um, yeah, I was talking to Andy Schmidt about it. Um, you know, a, a lot of people have wanted to do that. And there's a lot of stuff. I mean, there are two ways you can approach it. You can either approach it from, you know, a 20, you know, 16 point of view, saying start next year, right. you know, and, and that would be, okay, let's watch the series and say, where would that have gone? Or you can approach it like, you know, somewhere we have around all of the episodes we didn't do back in the day. You know, if I can just get them off the old plastic Mac discs, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, we didn't know there wasn't going to be a fourth season. So, you know, we, there were also, the, you know, the, it's kind of interesting to go back and mine. You know, right. it was, you know it's like it's like hearing albums that were done 40 years ago, but they actually go back and look at the masters and the outtake tracks and, you know, their alt versions. You know, I mean, they're like, you know, Rolling Stones albums from the 70s that are coming out now. And they're, it's like a different album because it's all the stuff that, you know, just kind of arbitrarily one day they decided to go on the old album. Right, we were thinking there's a lot. There's a big time gap between the second end of the second season and when the movie takes place. Right, and there could be a lot of stories there. Like, how how did yes. these characters get to that point at the start of the movie? Well, I mean, like you could do I, I, the thing I've always wanted to do is Marissa Fairborn because she's right. obviously sort of the Joe, right? You know, yeah. you know, Transformers crossover, and just that whole world. I mean, if I were doing a new Transformer movie. That's what I did. You, you would have a, a real G.I. Joe crossover. Yeah, well, I mean, they, they, yeah, I mean, the Transformer, the first movie, the whole Nest team. I mean, what yeah. was that really? Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 so you sort of do it. Yeah, I mean, because once again, it's just my perspective. But all of our shows existed in the same universe. You know, Transformers, G.I. Joe, and humanoids. There's a character named Hector Ramirez who appeared in every one of our shows. He was really Geraldo <laughs> Rivera, right? Okay. And, and a fan came and gave me. It's a really wonderful thing. He, he'd taken a bunch of pictures from all the different episodes of Hector Ramirez <laughs> and, and, you know, and handed it to me. And he's a reporter in Inhumanoids. He's a reporter in G.I. Joe. He's a reporter in Transformers. Because when that was di- being done, Geraldo was this kind of clown character who was like going, you know, finding Al Capone safe. And, you know, yeah. it turned out there was like a beer bottle in it or something. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, he's not the Geraldo you think of today. Right. Well, you want to jump into the TV stuff? Sure. Okay. So, yeah. So let's move on to, I guess, going back, back in time to, I guess, 85 to 87 when you right. were, when you were working on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not back in '87. So, uh, so you were the story editor. Story editor. Okay, I I started series? out. What happened was uh, I'd, I'd been working on this Lucasfilm show, Droids, you know, which uh, okay was a real disaster. But nevertheless, yeah, you know, I'd been working on that. And Steve Gerber, I got done with that, and Steve Gerber called me up and said, "Hey, you want to come ghost story edit for me?" And he was story editing GI Joe. He said, yeah, it's a syndicated show. Like, 
It's not, you don't have network regulations. I mean, guys can hit each other with real fists and stuff. I mean, you can kill people and disembowel them, but I mean, <laughs> network was so restrictive at that point. And, you know, everybody wanted to flee it. And it was a really exciting period because, you know, it's like comic books were blowing up and, and doing exciting things and, and movies were interesting. And, you know, there's all this animation and so it's just, and, you know, you know, for, um, Role-playing games and board games or doing things I'd never done before. And so I, went, I was a ghost story editor on G.I. Joe. And, and the Sunbow guys liked what I was doing. And they said, you know, hey, listen, we want you to come work for us. And, and we named a character after you, so you have to take the job. You know, so, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a dead Joe McCall is telling me. And uh, it's like, okay. And, and so I'm working, you know, I was a story editor on G.I. Joe. And then they said, you know, we want to, we want to, we need some edge on Transformers because we're competing with GoBots at that point. This is like, it's surprisingly early in the first season. When I actually went back and rewatched stuff, it's like, you know, because so they hired me as associate producer. I was also a story editor and a writer, but I, I you know, it, like 90% of what I wrote was not credited because I it was doing it as my job as a story editor. And when a script would come in, it would be ever anything from a complete rewrite to a to I mean, Christy Marks wrote a GI Joe script that I, I didn't make any changes on whatsoever. It was just like you know, this thing's perfect. I mean, I mean, you know, it was it was not the perfect take necessarily on GI Joe, but it was absolutely consistent to her vision of it, and it was, mm-hmm. and so we just went with it. Um, uh, um, she and, was the one who did Gem, right? Yes, Christy Marsh yeah. became the story editor of Gem later on. She worked on all of our shows. I mean, she was like, she was never like actually in the office, Sunbow employee. She didn't have an office because she always lived somewhere else. She always lived up in the mountains somewhere. And, uh, but she was, yeah, she was a Gem story editor and really just, you know, one of the team, members of the team came mm-hmm. out with G.I. Joe around the same time I did. So Roger Slifer and, uh, Buzz Dixon and, uh, you know, and, um, and they would, uh, we were all people Steve Gerber knew. Yeah, I mean, Gerber was really kind of the heart of the whole thing. I'm, he, what, what, I'm trying to remember, what, what did you ask him? What, was the, what question was the answer? <laughs> Just what was your, meandering your, your job? Oh, so anyway, yeah, yeah, then I became associate producer. And and, and that was a real produ- production job. For And that was from beginning to end of the episode. Because the, you know, the episode starts with a premise. You know, and usually early on, and that this ended pretty quickly, but Hasbro would have an idea. Megatron creates a weather controlling device. You know, it'd be a, a lo- what they call a log line or a springboard. And it was one sentence, and then you write three takes on Megatron creating a weather device. And we have a thing called the in, in Transformer lore. I'd love to see somebody draw a Voltronic Galaxiter. One of our scripts, somebody wrote in a Voltronic Galaxiter. And, we, you know, we were used to stupid devices. Right. But just we saw that in Jay McCall and I, oh, Voltronic Galaxiter, really. <laughs> and, and so that became our code term for whatever, you know, any, any like, device that just seemed like too much of a plot device. Yeah, we're doing the Voltronic Galaxiter. <laughs> um, and uh, Cobra Commander also did Voltronic Galaxiters. Um, and so I, I kind of morphed off of... G.I. Joe onto Transformers. And, and, and basically, would, so you'd start with the script, then you would go to the recording session, then they would do the storyboard, then they would do the, the rough takes, or they do, and they didn't, I don't remember how much we did this all the way through, but there's a thing called like a reel, or a, and, and that's basically where you take the storyboard 
and then you take the audio and put it on top of the storyboard. So it's the show, it's just not animated. Okay. And then as they animate it, they start putting things on there. And that that's not exactly how G.I. Joe and Transformers did, but sometimes we get stuff back that was pretty rough. And, and then, so then you, you get it back, you do retakes on the audio and you do notes on the story, you know, and try to make every increment of it a little bit better. Mm. And then you, you would have, you know, an assembly and then they put in the sound effects and the, the music and, um, and then you have a sweetening session where they're balancing all that stuff. So it's like, well, how loud do we want the explosion? Do we really need to hear this line or is it just, you know, um, and, you know, of course, editorial, and then there, there would be even more tele, uh, you know, technical things like telecines and stuff like that. And so when I first got on as producer, I did all that stuff. So when I got on, really early episodes were probably in storyboard form. And, 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 and my job, what, what Joe and Tom wanted me to do was just make it edgier. They felt the, the open, the first few episodes were just coming in a little bit soft. And, you know, the, and I took that to mean make it more violent, more sarcastic, buff the, you know, a sort of adult content with a small a of the, of the episodes, you know, make the stories a little smarter, you know, a little less kid-like. And so and it was sort of what we were doing on G.I. Joe. And, um, so that's what I did. But in, in the, the first episodes, you'd sort of do what you could after the fact. You know, like sometimes you'd have a, a re, retake audio session for a certain episode, be rewriting voiceover stuff for an episode that you wanted to buff up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, well, we got that shot of them, you know, driving. So we, we could put dialogue over that, you know. And so you, right. you can look at the episodes and sort of see and deconstruct, you know, what we were doing and, and you know, or reconstruct, you know, sort of the evolution and then, you know, Probably by mid first season, those were things that I, I like saw from the beginning all the way through, and you know the show was doing very well, and and, and you know I, so we were looked at as kind of being obtrusive because it was kind of Sunbow taking over the shows from Marvel, and uh, um, you know and obviously the Marvel guys are going, well, why is this happening? Because we're doing really well, and it's just they just wanted. You know, I, you know, that was sort of in, in, in some really, you know, it's not really necessarily you know, fully my involvement, but they sort of wanted to go from this is a really good show for 1985 to something, you know, we're talking about 35 years later, or 30 years later, <laughs> however long later. Um, do you have, can you talk about how, like, you, you dealt with Hasbro a lot, I'm guessing, in the 80s with, like, you know, things that they wanted changed and... Approvals, but uh, what I will say is, is you know, I, we were, I was working with uh, Bob Prupus and Kirk Bazzigi, and we're the only real Hasbro people that I dealt with. And there was a whole layer of Sunbow in between okay. Hasbro and me. I mean, I was a Sunbow employee, and Sunbow was really Griffin Bacall, which was Hasbro's ad agency. Mm-hmm. But Bob Prupus come on. I mean, there's, we're still friends. Kirk Bazzigi is still on my Facebook page, and I run into him all the time. You know, but I mean, no, they were unbelievably. I mean. Hasbro, what was great about them as a client, and people don't believe this, is they were nothing but positive addition. What, what, the one exception being the death of Optimus Prime, but that's, that's for later. <laughs> I mean, but, the, you know, but 99%, they just send us the toys, you know, they'd send us stuff. What do you think of this? You know, hey, will you name these guys? You got any ideas for what we got to have for next year's season? It was all 
you know, if, I mean, there may have been whole levels of intrigue and Game of Thrones going on, but it was invisible to me. I mean, I, and I have no reason to believe there were, but I, you know, I wouldn't rule it out if somebody else comes in and tells you, oh man, it was this horrible. You know, I, mm-hmm. whatever it was, everybody allowed me to have this illusion that I was just in this free creative and play, Hasbro had, you know, they weren't like a network. Networks were oppressive. I mean, they had whole political and social agendas about molding the minds of young children. Hasbro just wanted to sell toys. <laughs> yeah, I guess they were kind of making up as they went along. As totally. Because well. they viewed it, you know, I mean, you have, at, at, a, at a marketing level, okay, we think of it as shows, and I never really thought of it as anything other than, yeah, we're trying to do the best episode we can, and we're giving this a lot of money and an incredible palette to do it, and we have this... You know, amazing team of comic book people who were bringing the idea of continuity. That was something that didn't exist in animation at the time. They're bringing that and the, and of, you know, you know, shared universes and, and, you know, ongoing relationships between characters and complex backstories. Yeah, I was probably, I mean, I went to film school, so, but, you know, I was probably the only person on the team that really came from game world. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, it's like, well, how do, you, how do you make sense of this stuff? You know, how far can these guys really shoot? You know, it's just like mm-hmm. in the in the beginning, it just seemed like, you know, everything was pretty arbitrary. And, you know, Megatron's cannon did what, you know, <laughs> one day it's a pea right. shooter and the next day it's a, you know, thermonuclear planet destroyer. It's like, yeah, can we dial this in? Right. You know, and so we were, I mean, I remember at one point sitting up, you know, making up miniatures rules. Taking a bunch of Joes and Transformers up to the TSR mansion. The Gary Gygax had a mansion up there. And we're like, we have them out on the lawn in front of the mansion with all these guys with tape measures, like how far <laughs> they can shoot. And it's Cobra and, and the Decepticons versus, you know, Joe and the Autobots. And, you know, we, we had this, you know, they had like serpents. And so the guys had Pim's cups out there. <laughs> so they're doing this massive battle on the front yard, you know, but, but that made total sense at the time. Right. So you were big into D and D. Oh, huge! Yeah, oh, oh yeah. I was, okay. I, at the exact same moment, I was doing Transformers. I was doing D and D stuff with Gary Gygax. Oh wow! Okay. And 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 it was like D and D was the one show I couldn't work on because I was working at Ruby Spears okay. in the beginning of the D and D show and working at Sunbow at the end of it. But you know, but, but I'd read the stuff and tell them what I thought of it and all that. We were working on movies and games and stuff like that. That was like like night job. Okay. You know, it all it all fueled. The, I mean, they all turboed each other. <laughs> You know, but it's like my day job. I'd be doing Transformers in my night job. I was doing game design, and that's how I learned how to design games. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of Marvel, did you ever have any communication with uh, the people who were working on the stories of Marvel? Like, Bob Budiansky is a guy who uh, came up with a lot of the, the original profiles for the characters. Yeah, yeah no, I never, and never Bob Bidiansky that I remember. I mean, I, I came in, it, it was Bryce Malick and, uh, Robinson Malick were the, were the guys and Bryce, I still know too. And, you know, yeah, I was, I was, you know, not a particularly much loved, you know, character at first at Marvel. I, mean, I don't know whether I ever got to be one, but I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Jim and Stephanie Graziano were still friends of mine, you know, and, uh, and they were the, the producers of the show and they weren't, uh, um, yeah, they were great and, and Margaret Lesh and Lee Gunther and, you know, and all that. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's, it, it was a weird relationship because remember, once again, you're crossing different things. You have, you know, yeah, at some level or another, I may have been an associate producer or producer on the show, but I was also an ad executive. 
And that was the, you know, usually the advertise, you know, and, and, and so Sunbow was running an advertising model where they viewed the shows as a 22 minute commercial. And what the guys at Hasbro thought it was really funny is then Mattel has to come advertise on their commercial. This, this, you know, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, you have to think there's this whole business thing and this right. whole competition layer over all of this. And, and, and it, you know, came out in a lot of ways. You know, we just considered GoButs kind of wimpy. And so we were always like, you know, there'd be like inferior Transformers getting stepped on and all that. <laughs> and that was our idea of an in-joke. And you could see it in there if, you, if you're looking for it. But I, I don't even remember when we were doing it. You know, it was like, um, you know, and, 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 and so you have to think there, there was a business layer sitting in all this. It's probably more than you want to know, but I mean, yeah, that's, <laughs> you see, I have to think, I mean, it came out of this really fascinating engine, you know? Right. So you, so you guys never had any, uh, like visible look or look or visibility with the comics or anything like that. There was no kind of cross pollination there. Not, it, it, we were, we were just doing too much too yeah. fast. When that really happened was a later show called visionaries. Okay. And then it really became, you know, Marvel versus Sunbow throwdown. And, oh, wow. Okay. And, you know, I mean, I, I, what I would say is this, is the Joe, here's my recollection, is the Joe comics were kind of more established and Gerber was working on those. And, you know, he, I mean, he and he knew all those guys. He knew Larry Hama and all that. I never, I never actually met Larry Hama until I think Comic-Con two years ago. I mean, we, we, we knew each other, you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, we, many well, uh, yeah, or, or, you know, I mean, he was always somebody sitting out of the bread. I've never actually like, you know, hi, good to meet you. Um, you know, that, that until yeah, the two years ago. Um, and you know, so Joe, it seemed like, you know, the comics were kind of in the air when we were doing the early episodes, transformers, not really. And partly just cause you know, we're doing 65 episodes. I mean, you know, there's no time. There's never any time to be looking sideways or down or back or in the rear view mirror or, you know, looking at the map. I mean, you know, we just, we, you know, we, Jay called, described it perfectly. That is like, we're this assembly line, you know, when, Hey, this one doesn't have an inch of windshield. Okay. Get the windshield. Oh, the other one's coming. Okay. <laughs> okay. Put the mirrors on the side. Oh, this one doesn't have an engine. I guess it's going to go out without an engine because we've got to get the one behind, you know, <laughs> and, and we'd be f- constantly fixing them, which is what, you know, what we do. I mean, they, they, at every level, be horribly flawed, but, you, and, you know, every increment along the way, you'd, you'd fix what you could right. and get them as, as good as you can. But then the, what that meant is that, the, the you know, an episode, episode one is now informed by things you're doing in episode four. So it all begins to weave together in a way that, you know, nobody ever really done before. Um, one of the, uh, I guess, uh, I don't know if you, if you guys had any contact with, uh, some of the Japanese production, like, uh, the jet, some of the Japanese animated shows, I think one in particular, they made kind of a, a short film scramble city that was, uh, was it, it was a Japanese, uh, I mean, a transformer thing. Yeah. yeah it was, yeah. uh, it was taking place between the, they didn't get the movie until a year later. Oh, this yeah. was happening so, then? Yeah, yeah. so th- this was kind of their bridge between season two and season three because they had all these new characters, but they didn't have the movie yet. Oh, so this yeah. was an official Hasbro or thing it was done in Japan. Uh, in Japan. Yeah, okay, yeah. no, with that, we were, that we were, you'd be amazed at how oblivious, because remember, this is a world, there was no internet. 
Yeah. <laughs> okay, so for us to even know about that stuff, you know, somebody would have had to in Japan send a DV, you know, send a VHS. Okay, mm-hmm. no, or a three quarter inch. Okay, try finding <laughs> one of those now. A three quarter inch to New York, and then somebody in New York would think, "Hey, let's send this to the guys in LA." You know, they may find this really interesting, and yeah, there's nobody in New York that wanted anything other than us to do our just to do our damn jobs. You know, it's kind of where they're not going to have fallen behind because they're watching you know Japanese videos. And you know, I was like vaguely aware, you know, mainly because there were you know a lot of I had a lot of friends of mine in the gaming business who were in anime. And I remember going up to Berkeley as my game designer, Mike Pondsmith. We were working on a Buck Rogers game. And Pondsmith, you know, had me over with his friends to watch all this, the Japanese anime. This is like really early on when I was working on Transformers. <laughs> and, you know, I'd just never seen anything like that. Because remember, it, 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 you can't overstate how different the world was then. Yeah, you were yeah, I mean, used to Hanna-Barbera. Yeah, you were used to Hanna-Barbera. And if you want to see anime, you got to go down to Japan time and find something that's probably not on English. And put it in your VCR and hope you got the right kind of VCR, you know, and it's not, you didn't get some English, you know, you know, thing that you can't play. And, and you play it and it's, oh, yeah, you know, and then the, you know, know, some dog walking around for five minutes. And it's like, it was like a whole sensibility that you'd never, it was wonderful. But I mean, it's like, you're just looking at it. It's like, I've never seen anything like that. And there were, there were things that kind of cure and stuff like that that kind of, you know, bridged it a little bit, but I mean, it, you know, a lot of anime at the time was was incomprehensible to somebody raised on Hanna Barbera, right? And then, of course, the whole language thing too. <laughs> yeah, not to mention the language thing. Yeah, exactly. You know, because I remember going over the Robotech, the, the guys who were doing Robotech, and uh, going over there, who did, they always just found us kind of annoying. But uh, uh, you know, I, I so okay, so it's Macross, Robotech, and they they were lip syncing stuff in there for the story. And there's a lot of genius to be able to do translations where nothing fits in, get to fit into the mouth and make the story intelligible. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You can imagine Voltron actually was a combination of two different animes and they really made it work. That they're slamming together and and trying to make a show out of it. Because once again, you got this business deal happening, which is, hey, we got uh, 27 hours of uh, animation. I can't make it, no tales of it, but it's here, and it's for nothing. So so you get that guy, you know, is then talking to somebody saying, you know, okay, how do we make this into a show that Americans will watch, you know, and, and, and you know, that, you know, you, and you ended up with some wonderful and, like, horrible things at the same time. Yeah, but with Transformers, it kind of was the opposite, because it was the Japanese toys that came over, but then the actual cartoon went back to Japan a year later. Yes. <laughs> so we're well, Transformers is the perfect example of what at the time, you know, and remember this is the 80s and Japan was just kicking our butts at every imaginable level. That would all change very suddenly, but at the at moment. And the one thing that frustrated the Japanese and they didn't get is they were unable to make you know, just do the creative stuff for this stuff. I mean, we, you know, the breakthrough of Transformers, the reason you're sitting there with Megatron and it's just Megatron, you don't have Megatron and little Johnny standing in front of him, <laughs> is that, you know, Hasbro found out that it cost six cents to make the little figure that went inside the Transformers. And somebody, it's got to be like Joe or Tom or somebody. I mean, because, I mean, yeah, those guys were brilliant, Tom Griffin and Joe McCall. You know, they just realized we don't need that guy. 
Megatron's got to be the character. I don't want some little guy hopping out of the machine. Right. This isn't a car show. Right. But, uh, you know, always in, in everybody's minds before then. And so they save their six and a half cents or nine cents on making the figure. But they also make the robots the characters. And the robots always had faces. No, it should have been the characters. It's just people had made the mental leap that the robot was self-propelled and had right. his own personality. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think in all the previous Japanese cartoons, you see it's always a little pilot. The characters are always the pilots, and the robot's just the, the thing that they fly or drive. Exactly. Or yeah. But it didn't even make sense in Japan, because what's a robot doing with a face if it's not a personality? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and, and the minute that you take the human out of it, then your whole the whole story of Transformers can make sense. These are robots hiding here. They have to disguise themselves yeah, as like, human. Why did the robot turn into a car in the first place? Yeah, it's, it, because he, he's hiding. Yeah, you know. And then all of a sudden, then everything begins to make sense after that. It's like okay, there are two sets of robots hiding among us, trying to gather energon. Because you know the eightiesness of Transformers, you just can't. You know, you can't miss. It. That's in the height of the oil crisis, right? You know, right now that we discovered fracking and we basically have endless petroleum, it's very hard to remember back to a time when you're standing in gas lines and, you know, you're angry with all these Arab countries because they're, you know, making you stand in gas lines. You know, I mean, very different period. So uh, let's get into the the big thing that kind of, uh, it's I, I, it's kind of the central focus for our childhoods was the, the 86 movie. And uh, so you you did a lot of work on the on developing the story for that. Yeah, what happened was uh, Ron, a guy named Ron Friedman wrote a rough draft of it. Ron Friedman, I, and here's how I think it worked: is when when they decided they got involved in this venture to do Transformers, you know, they that he was the animation writer they were introduced to. They didn't know any of us. They didn't you know know any of that stuff. And, and Ron went and has gone on to have a great career and does a lot of stuff and is a brilliant guy. Um, and I, I only met him a couple times and it was usually, it was, it was just kind of a weird relationship because he was kind of there before us. He wrote the first draft of the movie and it was a draft. I mean, later on when I was actually writing movies myself, I understood better how the first draft came in the way it did because that's what my first drafts were like. But when we got it and it was, this warehouse of amazing images and brilliant ideas and a ton of stuff that's in the movie. I mean, you know, I mean, you, you, we can't pretend that, you know, Ron Friedman didn't, you know, wasn't, you know, doesn't fully deserve credit, you know, for working on the Transformer movie. However, he had a deal. His agent made a deal because Joe and Tom didn't know how deals worked, you know, where he would get credit on any Transformer movie that ever came out, which is why my credit is something you've never seen before or since in all the history of Hollywood. And that is the executive story consultant, Flint Dilly, is the first credit <laughs> in the movie. And that was Joe and Tom trying to say, look, Flint, you know, we, we contractually, we, it's because it's not covered by the Writers Guild. So there's no arbitration. We can't contractually give you credit, but we're going to do the best we can for you because the next 25 drafts of the script came out of my computer. And it evolved a lot. But that, you know, once again, take nothing away from Ron Friedman because, I mean, you know, a lot, you know, a lot of his stuff showed up in there. But it just, it just evolved and changed. And of course, Nelson Shin came along and he had his ideas. And, and, but right after Ron's draft, Jay and I hold up in our, 
in my apartment in Westwood and wrote the, the Lost Transformer movie. And I would love to more if I if I could find one lost object from my childhood, this would be it. Or my early adulthood, my extended childhood. This is the secret it, of Cybertron. It, it, the secret of Cybertron script. That, Jay and I thought we'd written we wrote it in one week, but it, we wrote it at the absolute. You know, we're we're in the middle of season two, and we're more dialed in and tuned in on Transformers than we ever would be, wherever we were before, or would be afterwards. I mean, we're absolutely just living it, and it was in our skin, and. We just loved that script. And Joe and Tom, you know, you know, didn't share our enthusiasm. And, you know, they had a whole new set of ideas. So then it became this, you know, period. I just remember this one meeting where I'm lying on my back smoking cigarettes for, you know, it was like a 24-hour long meeting is what I recall. And, you know, out of which came drafts. And I went back to New York for seven weeks and was, you know, basically rewriting you know, the script, you know, for... For uh, for a long time, and then you know, new products had come in, and you know, so some of the changes were were things that had nothing to do with us, you know. And but we always knew that you know, you know, that we were discontinuing a lot of the eighty five toys. And from our point of view, we would get faxes at that point. You had fax machines. You still see fax. I think they still have fax machines now, but. That was like brand new technology, really exciting technology. We would get faxes from Hasbro that say, oh, we're discontinuing dipstick and ashtray and tailpipe. And, you know, please show more of, you know, you know, camshaft and, you know, you know, (laughs) you know, you know, and, you know, pad accelerator pedal and, you know, you know, just, you know, and, and, and that's what, you know, I mean, they did, these were commercials. Yeah, they, they had no idea that kids really loved Ashtray. <laughs> no, they, they had no idea that people and kids really loved Ashtray and that windshield wiper was, you know, was like, you know, because cause what's funny, what I've discovered over the years is, you know, like a lot of times at conventions or stuff, they just ask people, like, yeah, I'll just take an informal poll of who people's favorite character is. And it's never, you know, it's rarely Optimus Prime or Megatron or any of the big time guys it's whoever they got when they were a kid mm-hmm. and you it's can like tell their first toy was they kind of associated with exactly you know so if you got the big you know sound wave you know 80s boom box right you know or you got you know you know a, you know again one of the you know big ones that was a christmas present but a lot of people really bonded to the little shut-up toy that's in, in the toy business are called shut-up toys and that's anything you can sell at a grocery <laughs> store right. but that is a that is a categorical term at, you know, at Toy Fair. It's not something I made up. And it's a shut-up toy is you're taking the kids to the grocery store or whatever, you know, you know, take the toy, it's two bucks, and it keeps them busy while you're going through the store. And a lot of shut-up toys, you know, you know, think, you know, guys like Power Glide, you know, these characters that, like, you know, that, that we would have, you know, would be extras. Or maybe they get an episode of the series or something. Um... I'm probably being unfair to Power Glide, you know, Sea Spray, you know, any of these, you know, these would be like the kid's favorite toy because that's what they played with. And, and it's, you know, it's really, it's, it's really kind of fascinating. Well, I mean, Bumblebee is a prime example of that. I mean, he's the the same size. Yeah. Yeah. Little tiny toy, but he had a big part in the the show. Well, and that was, he was probably the lead shut up toy. Yeah. That would be a way of looking at Bumblebee because, I mean, think about what Bumblebee is, you know, and, and Bumblebee is not something mom's going to look at. And, and, you know, I, I mean, your average mother, you know, it's a, it's a yellow Volkswagen. Right. Which in that era, 
And I'm sure Volkswagens are still being made at that point. But I mean, in that era, that was like the actress car. Hmm. You know, every actress I knew had a yellow Volkswagen, you know, and, and that was like, you know, the safe, happy, fun, young car, like Bumblebee. And it was a shut up toy. So you wanted, you wanted to advertise the shut up toys. Cause remember we, we didn't make an, in sales, you made in volume, you know? And so you had, you had him and then you had, you know, um, you had the more expensive toys, mm-hmm. you know, and by the time you buy Optimus, you're probably actually going into the toy store. Cause remember there's no internet, you know, there, and maybe there were catalogs, maybe, but like, you know, parents didn't know how to do that. And so different toys would show up in different places at different seasons. Usually you'd have, you know, every Christmas you'd come out with a play set, you know, maybe a couple vehicles in the course of the year, and then probably five new figures in different categories Transformers changed a little bit because they had such massively different scales of toys from the 295 shot up toy to the, you know, yeah, then they just had lines of gimmicks mm-hmm. like, you know, these are the target masters. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. The, these are the Garbicons, you know, and they, they have, <laughs> you have garbage can and you know, dumpster <laughs> yeah. and yeah. Right. So until I had a very reverent attitude towards the, <laughs> I mean, I'd actually kind of like to see the Garbicons, but yeah. So I mean, as a as a kid seeing the transition from the cartoon to the movie, it is noticeable from from our point of view how basically all the characters we loved in the cartoon become kind of secondary characters in the movie, and all the new guys basically yeah. take all the spots. And that was the purpose of the movie was yeah. to introduce the '86 toy line. Yeah. And so that came directly from Hasbro. Did they also kind of mandate the killing a lot of the characters off? And well, they, they, yeah, and no. I mean, you know, I mean, as I said, it was and certain things happened just you know out of my visibility. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Optimus Prime was always going to die, you know, because he was a discontinued, and we had no idea. That there was this massive love of Optimus Prime. Yeah, we liked him, you know, and, and we labored over the scene where he gets killed and Megatron and, you know, and I mean, I loved Starscream. My favorite moment in the movie is Starscream kicking Megatron out of the, out of Astro Train. <laughs> right. You know. Which you, 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 you revisited in Autocracy. Yes, yeah, so absolutely. Yes, we revisited yeah. in Autocracy. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, you, you can pretty much, if you look at Autocracy, you can see what I pretty much liked in the agency. <laughs> Um, did you did you happen to see the Goldbergs last season where they uh, no they paid homage like they they had did an episode about the Transformers movie coming out and then they showed the kids reaction at that moment when Optimus died. No, I gotta so, see that. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I'll tell you what it was like when we wrote it. I mean, I told the story a lot, so this may be boring to your listeners, but it, it's it's a great story because it sums up that era of history. And that is, I mean, you know, I, I think there was a version of it in Ron Friedman's script, but I don't even know with Ron Friedman's script, even the first draft. I mean, first of all, what goes around is, you know, people say is the first draft really wasn't the first draft. You know, that was sort of this middling point when there's the first draft, then there's Secret of Cybertron, then there's, you know, Joe and Tom's input, then there's go back to the first draft and kind of morph all the ideas together. And then there are 50 different drafts streamlining. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I, it, you know, we don't, I don't even know what the origin of 80% of everything was. I don't even remember what was mine, what was Jay's, what was Tom's, what was Nelson's, what was Ron Friedman's, what was Joe's, what was, yeah, I mean, it's just, it was just a lot of stuff. But what I do remember is when we were really honing the scene, the, 
scene where Optimus, I mean, cause we had to have a scene where Optimus was fighting, um, Megatron, but somehow Hot Rod was going to screw up and, and, and be responsible for Optimus's death. We knew, we knew we had, that's where we had to get to. That's what the story had to be. Cause it is, you know, it's, it's King Arthur or it's, you know, Saul and David or take your pick of archetypical situations, you know? And so we knew we had to have that scene and, you know, and, and we weren't particularly thrilled about killing Optimus. And so, I was working on it and it, you know, it just, you know, it's like, you know, trying to, you know, fumble the parts together. And, uh, and Steve Gerber came in and it was helping me one day and he's having lunch with this guy, you know, some comic book guy from New York because all the New York comic guys are coming out. And, and, you know, the guy shows up and, you know, Steve's about to leave and introduce me to him. And he's just like, guy with long hair. And he's doing a Batman comic book and he's talking his problems with his Batman comic book. And we're talking about Optimus and Megatron. He knows nothing about Transformers. And he's trying to figure out how Batman's going to fight Superman. And, you know, and I, I, I thought that was ridiculous unless Batman had a whole lot of kryptonite. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause I had a much more powerful Superman in mind than, than what, cause I did the Dick Donner pushing planets around the solar system. Right. Anyway. And, so we, we start solving each other's problems and, you know, in the middle, you know, cause I always thought of Optimus's death being like uh, John Wayne in the Alamo, uh, which was what scarred my childhood. That was the exact parallel to Optimus scarring your childhood was, you know, it's like I'm watching the Alamo and I had no idea Davy Crockett died. It's like, did Davy Crockett just die? And what's really funny is <laughs> I remembered, you know, cause you know, then there was no VH and there were no tapes or anything. You know, when, when I was a kid, as I didn't see the movie for like 20 years later, and I realized I, I remembered it shot for shot from when I was five and saw it. And certain things just kind of burn into it your burned, yeah. it, it just burned into the hard code, and that is what you mine for the entire rest of your career. And But anyway, so the guy there was saying, and I, and I was saying that, and he said, well, you ought to do it like, you ever see the 300 Spartans, you know, and it's Frank Miller. Yeah. And so we're sitting there, you know, we saw the Batman Superman fight Dark Knight and Optimus and Megatron, you know, death in Transformers in the same room on the same day. And 10 years later, Frank and I are sitting in a boat sailing around Greece and he's researching his graphic novel on the Three Hundred Spartans. That's what that era was, is you had these comic book guys and there was a cross pollinization of disciplines and mediums and people that still echoes through, you know, culture today. You know, I mean, look at them, look at the movies. I mean, there are Transformer movies or Batman movies, you know, and all the stuff that came out of that. Wow. <laughs> yeah, you know, I hadn't heard that story. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, well, it's really fascinating. And I tell it just mostly because that's what creativity is. It's, it's when different kinds of people, I mean, you Steve Gerber, who's, Guy created Howard the Duck, but he's also story editor on G.I. Joe. He's there. There's me, who's kind of a game guy, and there's Frank, who's a pure comic guy. And all those people, for the first time in that period of the 80s, are in the same room mm-hmm. dealing with, I mean, you know, the, you know, a decade earlier, there were no game, you know, games in the sense we think of them. There were military simulations, and there were, you know, family board games, but there was no hobby games. And comics were this disreputable, you know, medium, and <laughs> um, and animation was a bunch of slop on Saturday morning, 
And all of a sudden, all these people are unleashed on each other right. in a, an environment where there's yeah, an amazing amount of money around. You know, I mean, that, the, the, you know, they, I mean, you know, Hasbro paid very well and all that. It wasn't the rock star money. It would be five years later. But it was we were all living very kind of fun, comfortable lives. And working 24 hours a day. I mean, it was, yeah, I mean, it was, there was not a lot of downtime. Did you have any involvement with the, with the GI Joe movie? Cause I've, zero. I've, okay. So, uh, well, I wouldn't say zero, but I mean, about as close to zero as you can get. Okay. I remember I was a story editor on GI Joe and I think for a brief period, and I might be lying to you, but I think it is true. I was a associate producer on GI Joe. And, and would, you know, I mean, I was, I was in the office, you know, and you kind of have this ex story editor and I'd be pressed into service when they were in trouble. Mm -hmm. But the movie, I was Transformer movie. Mm -hmm. And, and when I wasn't doing Transformer movie, I was either working on season three or developing what would become humanoid and humanoids and visionaries and muscle machines and some of, you know, Hasbro's lesser known shows at the time. Okay. So I was, I was, you know, and so GI Joe movie was just happening, you know, and and what the real truth is, you know, I, you know, Buzz was really mostly doing that, and he'd be talking about Serpentor and Hawk, and I didn't know who these guys flag, and I didn't know who these guys were or what they did, or you know, there were all these, you know, <clears throat> there were these new characters that I never bonded with, and they just sounded funky to me, and you know, it's like I knew Duke and Flint, Lady J and Scarlet mm, yeah. and Baroness and Cobra Commander and Destro, and I didn't want to know anybody else. You know, the, you know, yeah, I knew the Crimson Twins and the you know, Dreadnoughts and, you know, all that. But, but you know, there's the season three characters. They all just smelled funny to me. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was just interesting because there's a parallel in the G.I. Joe movie where Duke gets basically killed off. I mean, he gets basically hit in the chest with a mm -hmm. snake and then... They, I mean, the, the voiceover at the end, yeah, be like, oh, he's coming out of his coma, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, all right, right, it's specifically because of the reaction, because to of the reaction to Optimus Prime, yeah. is, is yeah. well, there's another really interesting thing happening in culture at that point, is, is you know, it's something to know, you know, just for your just sort of media life with that. Is that in the seventies, the early seventies, which you know, there, I mean, there are people in the film business that argue there hasn't been a good movie made since seventy-five, and I, I see their argument. I'm not sure I agree with it, but I, I, what they're trying to say is these were movies where you didn't know what was going to happen in the end, and it could end pretty dark, and you actually got to you know things like Taxi Driver or you know any Alan Pakula movie or you know any any uh you know Wild Bunch or any Sam Peckinpah film or The Godfather or, uh you know Francis Coppola film I mean you know they Bonnie and Clyde you know you know these guys get horribly slaughtered in the end of the movie and characters would frequently die at the end of movies and things were could end up bad and dark so you're sitting in a movie not knowing really not knowing what was going to happen post Star Wars Though, if you remember Star Wars, you know, when, when Obi-Wan dies, that's a shocking moment, too. It's just you weren't as invested in him as you were in Optimus Prime because, right. you know, there weren't 65 episodes of Obi-Wan. And and so, you know, we're living in this time where, you know, in the, the, by the time we got to the 80s and, and you had franchises, 
Well, nobody wants to kill anybody off because, you know, that's like, that's your, you know, your intellectual property, you know, and you're, you know, it's like, you know, Sherlock Holmes, you know, you know, he's going to swim out of Breckenbach Falls, right? Uh, you know, and, and Boreati's probably living through this too. Yeah. And we're going to have the most improbable physics, you know, event ever in history because this is really valuable intellectual property. Um, and so nobody ever died and nothing ever happened. Everybody, you're pretty certain of a, a, of a happy ending. You know, Rambo was going to survive and Schwarzenegger was not going to die at the end of his movie. And, you know, and, and unless you were making a dark, almost retro film or it was made by an extremely powerful filmmaker, all the movies ended happily. And so an entire, you guys, an entire generation of kids... And especially because it was a cartoon. That's what I was so devastating is, you know, because that was like a kid's medium. But we weren't thinking of it that way. Because remember, I'm infected by all these comic book guys who at that point were trying to be much more adult. You know, and this yeah. was a movie. Right. You know, and, yeah, you know, and so, yeah, so anyway, that's, you know, that, that was the context in which all that stuff happened. You know, and, and we like to, we like to have a you know, show that had consequence, you know, like it's like, well, Optimus died. But he was also a discontinued product at a business right. level. And we could have had him, you know, I'm going to roll on to other worlds, you know. But, you know, was, I mean, there was a scene in Secret of Cybertron where the entire 86, 85 product line was just slaughtered in the charge of the Outlight Brigade. I mean, it's oh, just, wow. you know, I don't think but Bumblebee was discontinued, so he was never a risk. But they had to, the whole point was that they had to get the Autobot Matrix in the heart of Cybertron to activate Cybertron to fight. Uh, Unicron, right? That was our premise. And um, um, so, but getting the Septicons were trying to stop them because they were aligned with Unicron. And getting there, the Autobots just basically had to, like, everybody got it. was why the end of the Wild Bunch, you know? Yeah. Then, you know, because that's what we were referencing. And I guess you took the, um, from the Secret of Cybertron, uh, I guess, script was where the, the Quinnison, like the Quinnison origin story for... The, the Transformers came, and I think you reused that in the in the cartoon. Oh yeah, I mean, well, the Quintessons. Yeah, I mean, I, the Quintessons may well. I, I mean, I don't remember creating the Quintessons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, that may well have come out of you know what what was sort of the Fran Friedman era. Now, I would not rule out that was Joe Bacall. Okay, but like there was a store called Quintessence near us in Westwood, and it's like, you know, what's that? Well, that's the fifth substance. And it's like. Quintessence, yeah, it's <laughs> five, you know, five, fifth sense, fifth sense, the the fifth fifth element. You know, there's earth, air, wind, and water, and there's the quintessence. And well, what's that? It's the thing that's not visible. And so, you know, we were kind of you know puzzled, and you know, and 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 you know, and and you know, we we thought, oh, this is really great, deep new age thinking. And so they would throw them into the story as they were just some other thing, you know, random thing that goes into the into the story. Um, and yeah, I always, I always thought of Quintessence as being, you know, that there were these lazy, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, it, you can't talk like this now, but at the time we just thought of them as kind of these Arabs. I mean, there's no way to over, you know, like having or employing everybody else to do their stuff and they have a ton of oil money. There's no way you can overstate the 80s-ness of Transformers and that was the world we found ourselves in at the time. Um, I guess... Been about an hour, so we should probably start wrapping up. Okay. It, yeah, I've been rambling. I'm sorry about that. No, I mean, <laughs> it's no is, problem. Our, our audience is going to love it. Yeah. Um, what was it like? I mean, you said you were working on season three at the same time as the movie. What was it like 
kind of living in those two worlds? Well, to me, there was all one big world. I mean, what, what I would love to do is like, you know, last time I was, I was a, a Transformers thing in Wichita and we were watching the movie, but we were just doing it with a remote. There were like probably 30 or 40 people in the room. They're stopping and asking questions. We just stop the movie and talk about that. That's and, cool. Or I'd tell stories about whatever. I wanted to do that with Five Faces of Darkness because I viewed that as the second movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it is. Yeah. And, you know, and it's, it's a it's a much more interesting thing. When you really look at it, because it explains a lot of the stuff in the movie and everything that would come afterwards. And, you know, and so that, you know, that was, yeah, I mean, I viewed, there, there, there became a time probably mid-season two to probably mid-season three, because mid-season three, when, when we, had, we had to bring Optimus back mm-hmm. and all that, and there was a real changing of the guards. I mean, I was there for all the story creation and probably most of the scripts, but I was pretty much gone on, you know, probably in humanoids by the end of season three, because they're, you know, they're developing the new products. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, so, it, you know, there's, there was a, a window from mid season two to mid season three that to me is all of a piece in my mind, every, you know, all the other stuff leads up to it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it's, you know, the, the stuff, you know, afterwards, you know, is kind of the, the payoff from it. But, the, you know, that, that was to me all, all one big piece of entertainment with a huge time break, obviously, between right. season two and the movie. Um, and were you aware, like, w- season four was basically just a three episode rebirth? Uh, yeah, I, uh, that, I was long gone. I mean, oh, you know, I was okay. season four. Yeah, I think Marv did that stuff. And yeah, I think, you know, we we plotted it out and all that. But that was just, you know, I was finishing up on The Last of Visionaries and I'd started writing movies at that point. You know, it's... Okay. Yeah, uh, so, I mean, yeah, season... You know, yeah, that was yeah, it was just a three-parter to, you know, tie some loose ends. And to get that next year's yeah, product out. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to get that out, yeah. Because it's interesting that in Japan... They actually had a full run of a series called Headmasters, and then they had like two other series after that. And it just it continued, I think, um, for a number, another maybe five years. Oh yeah, and, yeah, and, and like Beast Wars and all that stuff. Yeah. I just the you know the, the Armada, you know, it was just yeah. all like you know after my time, I had no idea what that stuff was, and I didn't even know there was like you know until until Chris Metzen you know enlightened me, and that's that's what I was saying is like. You know, by the time I'm working on autocracy, there's like 20 years of Transformers. I don't know. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, whereas Metzen, like, knew down to the panel what had happened in every comic continuity of, of whatever. And I realized, you know, Transformers isn't mine anymore. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, and, you know, I wanted to do something different and new. You know, I didn't want to, like, just be doing a G1 rehash because that's kind of pathetic. But... So we, you know, we tried to get a mix between something informed by all the, the newer stuff and by G one. Yeah. Have you uh, done any like collecting of the toys or anything? You have any? Uh... No, I, I have various ones in in my closet. You know, I mean, I probably have some really kind of cool stuff in storage that is what I at the time when we're clearing out the office would have thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, and. Uh, um, so it's probably pretty unique stuff, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. And I learned a lot about archeology span from, you know, fan collection is yeah. The stuff I had was all stuff that was kind of 
one of a kind or was what just happened to be sitting in or on my desk when we moved out of the offices and I just threw it in a box and took it home. You know, so it's, I mean, it's kind of an interesting, it's not orderly or anything like that. It's just the thing I regret to this day is for two minutes, I was thinking, I'd take the aircraft carrier. We had it. We had one. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, we, but I mean, I just, you know, even as kind of weird as my house was, I just couldn't figure out where that was going to be a call. Cause we had it as a coffee table in our office. <laughs> I couldn't figure out where I was going to put it. And it, I couldn't figure out, I didn't have really a car or anything big enough to put it in. So, you know, I just left it behind. But yeah, if I have a regret, that's my regret. Is there any other kind of interesting artifacts that you might have lying around besides the toys? Or No, the toys, yeah, I mean, weird things like Universal did a Transformer show and yeah you know you know statues and stuff like that and i'm like the blueprints for stuff like that i remember seeing them a couple of years ago mm-hmm. i mean i don't even know what i have around to be honest with you probably like old bibles characters that didn't happen scripts that never were made um probably i somewhere i have the scripts for the transfer tra- i mean the uh in humanoid season that didn't happen which I get, you know, a lot of fans ask me about that stuff. And, yeah, you know, I just have to, like, find it, you know. Yeah. It's like, well, no, uh, in the last couple of years, some fans have uncovered, like, storyboards and... Um, I probably have a certain like, amount of that. There, there have been, like, un- scenes from the movie that were not animated. Yes. But they were in storyboard form. And, and the guys went out and reanimated it. Right. And then other guys, they had, they had a scene. I wrote dialogue just recently... Right. For a scene from the movie that was taken out where they'd lost the dialogue. They had the storyboard without the, without the dialogue. That's so cool. I reconstructed the dialogue. Yeah, I think more than the toys, those, those are the things that are really interesting. Yeah. I mean, that, oddly enough, that's probably stuff I have. You know, if I ever just think, go through all the stuff. I, what I probably have is, because I mean, what would be sitting on your desk? You know, you figure what's sitting on or in your disc, and that is stuff that's in, un, uncompleted. So that's what goes in the box, and that's what you take with you. Right. You know, it's like the stuff that's done, that's somewhere else. And the stuff, so it's the stuff that's not done yet, you know. So then that would probably match up pretty well with, with stuff that people would be interested in. Cool. Well, it would be nice to, to see some of that one day. Yeah, I'll... I'll in in I'll, your infinite time that you have. I, one, <laughs> one day I will yeah. brave the storage and see what I have. I think... Part of what I'm afraid of is I'm like afraid I have less stuff than I think I have. You know, whatever got you know thrown out over the years. You know, my wife saying we need another box of Transformer CDs. You know, uh, VHSs. You know, it's like no. Yeah, I mean, I know I had that. I know I had most yeah. of our masters um, in various states of being mixed and stuff like that. I remember taking that because I I think I think like Carol Weitzman asked me to take them. She really sort of ran the show and. And they, at one point or another, they were going to get them, but it, like nobody ever did, and they just, you know, sort of got forgotten. Yeah. Well, I, I think uh, like the DVD companies would love to get those masters back. Is yeah, it? yeah. I mean, well, they, they aren't the three quarter masters. They have that, and everything's been pretty much buffed and sweetened. These okay. would be like the things they would send. There'd be like two or three iterations of a show before the show you know actually came out okay. stuff like it would be like you know weird iterations but but it's not like you know it's it's not like the white album the three lost Beatles songs it's, <laughs> it's not gonna be that yeah all I, right well i hope this is helpful no yeah. thank thank yeah. you so much Thanks. for uh for sitting down with us and uh, it's been really enlightening for me yeah. and uh 
really, really interested in hearing about your, your work on, on everything. And, yeah. Uh, we, we really appreciate, uh, getting the chance to talk to you and also all the, all the contributions you've made to Transformers. It's literally, you know, formed our, <laughs> formed our, uh, our lives as kids. So it's, uh, well, it's good to come back and do it again. You know, I, 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 and I'll probably do Transformers again too. You know, it's like, it was fun. You know, the autocracy and privacy and, uh, you know, monstrosity were really fun. Yeah. All right. Uh, thanks for everyone. Okay, for great. I'm going to grab some breakfast. Here. <laughs> yeah, it is yeah. morning here, by the way. Whenever you're listening to your podcast, it is, in fact, morning in Charlotte <laughs> right now, and, and we're waking up. All right. Well, okay, all right. see you guys later on. All right. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for picking up our transmissions. Give us feedback on our website at www.transmissionspodcast.com. There you can find all of our contact information on social media, as well as all of the links to our show notes discussed on each episode. You can also email us directly at feedback at transmissionspodcast.com.